nonstop. I mean, who would have believed if we went into this, the first show we did back in January 15th and said, what sport is going to be dominating the the stuff we talk about? I don't think either of us would have picked, picked golf, but it's just unbelievable how fast things are moving in the golf world. But when you have two old white guys hosting a podcast, you can't exactly be surprised that you talk a lot about golf. <laughs> like, <laughs> neither of us are even golfers, really. I know. That's what's kind of funny about it. <laughs> Welcome back to Wait, What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. Hope you all survive without a week of... <laughs> This podcast that takes a unique look at the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and on occasion, even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. It seems like ages since we last gathered. There's news popping everywhere in college sports, in motorsports, in sports media, obviously in golf. But where to start? Tim, what's on your mind? Well, let's talk about something that we really haven't talked about a lot in the past, golf. <laughs> a lot of stuff happening in the world of golf. And I was in the world of golf for the, uh, I was uh, in Ireland and spent my last night at Tremolan Castle, which has a beautiful course. Unfortunately, I didn't Wonderful course. I did not have my, um, I did not have my clubs with me, but, but a lot's going on. Um, not surprisingly related to the ongoing feud between Live Golf and, uh, and, and the tour. I read something interesting today. Uh, about how Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods have really stepped up um, at a recent players meeting. And what I found really interesting was that um, Tiger Woods was described as the shadow commissioner, which is somewhat surprising um, in some some regards, maybe not in others. And then uh, apparently Jay Monahan uh, welcomes the support that he's been given by Tiger. So let's start with uh, with that, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing what came out of that meeting in Wilmington prior to the BMW where Tiger came in and, uh, as Rory said, was the alpha and led the meeting. And then we keep getting more news dribbling out day by day as to what's going on there. And then, you know, we learned that Tiger and Rory, along with the former Golf Channel president, Mike McCarley, uh, have formed a new venture. And one of those first things that they've talked about is this a uh, series of uh, events that sound like they're going to be stadium-based events. We're not exactly sure, but things are already happening, and it sounds like Monahan's already bought into this. So the question is, is he buying in because he has to, or are these all new ideas? But it's just um, it's just fascinating how much stuff has happened or how much we've learned over the last couple of weeks on this. Listen, I, I would imagine that these conversations had probably been going on with McCarley and Woods and Rory for some time, but I think clearly there's a sense of urgency that that's been created because of what Liv is doing, trying to shake up the sport. Now, you know, whether or not golf purists accept what the tour is doing, um, whether or not it sort of uh, mitigates the impact that Liv Golf has had, that remains to be seen. But it's very obvious um, that the tour is not going to stand, stand still. Right. And I don't think they can. Right. Um, you know, we, there's a chance that we're going to hear some official announcements uh, from the commissioner, from Jay Monahan, this week in advance of the Tour Championship. But, you know, I've had some people come to me and say, this is, you know, they're just now copying what 
what Liv was trying to do. It doesn't sound like that's what it's going to be. And since Rory and Tiger have been so outspoken against Liv, uh, I have a feeling they'll make sure that it's not exactly like that, um, but that it fits in with this idea of, of having some special events for, for the top players. Uh, I still hope that they do something to make sure that the, um, you know, that some of the, the grinders, I guess, the, the people that aren't at the top are, are inclined to um, stay on. But if they keep producing these things that keep people from going, uh, then we'll see if they're, you know, if they are able to kind of squeeze any momentum out of uh, a lib that they had. Because Cam Smith, the Open Championship winner, uh, and as someone that you know had a chance to win uh, the FedEx playoffs, is expected to announce here really soon. He pulled out of the BMW, uh, saying for some in uh, injury. So we expect that that announcement will come. Of course, it's also interesting because we have all these lawsuits going on. Um, uh, the, the players that want, the players that wanted to get in to the tour, um, to the FedEx playoffs were denied that. Um, and then now we have this, uh, uh, this suit from the former PGA most popular player, Patrick Reed going <laughs> on. He's looking for $750 million in damages. Yeah. Apparently, the Golf Channel and some other folks have been conspiring for years, right? This is not a recent development, according to Mr. Reed and his attorneys, right? That they've been conspiring to malign and defame him. They, they've planned it all along to defame him, to defame a Masters champion. Yeah, Brent, listen, Brandel Chambly of Golf Channel is a very outspoken guy. He's ripped Tiger before, and not yeah. many people have the guts to rip Tiger. Uh, but he has been absolutely brutal on Liv, maybe one of the most outspoken against it. And you can agree or disagree with his point of view as somebody that, you know, never had a huge playing career and now sits in the ivory tower of, of a, you know, the broadcast entity and criticizes. But um, he isn't scared to share his opinion. And that's what it is. So the idea that Patrick Reed would be able to win a defamation lawsuit, which is hard to begin with, is almost. But this is getting like it's like the jerky boys. I'll sue everybody. <laughs> um, it's, I, I can't believe what's, what, what we're seeing out of this, especially out of a sport where they really prided themselves on this idea of the ultimate meritocracy. Yeah. And you know, there are other lawsuits, right? Which I'm going to give you credit where credit is due, right? The same guys who complained because they had to play on the tour too much sued for the, be able to play more on the tour. Right. So that's, uh, that one gets filed under iron eye for irony right but that right. was your observation so i don't want to take credit for that yeah it is it is kind of funny although I, i'll say this i had you know we we pushed something out this week about will zalatoris winning um <laughs> winning in the first uh where did he go to school playoffs he, he he apparently went to wake forest okay um and uh, then he comes out in the BMW and wrenches the crap out of his back. And he, unfortunately, not only is he going to miss the Tour Championship, he's already announced that he won't be able to play in the President's Cup, which is just too bad uh, because he actually is still, I think, third in the uh, in the FedEx points going into this. But he's got to take care of it. He's got two herniated discs, and it's just too bad um, uh, for this young guy. And I hope it's not a problem. But I'm, I'm sorry, Will. You're my guy. Uh, you're my guy. And I think I jinxed. I don't believe yeah. in karma and I don't believe in a lot of stuff, but I do believe in jinxes and I got to, I got to take that one on. As, as Michael Scott says on the office, you're not superstitious. You're just sort of stitches. <laughs> so, so let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the recent news 
about meteorites. Holy smokes, right? Big yeah. Ten comes out and announces an eight billion seven year meteorites deal, biggest deal in the history of college sports. So good on them. But uh, ESPN out of Big Ten sports for the first time in forever um, with CBS, Fox and NBC splitting up the package, including NBC doing a Saturday night game. Kevin Warren has just been crushing it lately, it seems. I mean, these a couple of these uh, com uh, conference commissioners are just kind of the you know they're the they're the they're the BMOCs right now, um, and Kevin Warren seems to be the guy. He seems like he's like the tiger of the of the college space. So uh, one of the interesting things about this is that with particularly with NBC and Notre Dame, of course, has been with NBC for years. Um, NBC is now in the Big Ten fold. Um, they actually wrote into that deal a specific number for Notre Dame if Notre Dame were to join. Now, they they had very loose language if various other, say, Pac-12 teams, because Oregon's now in discussion uh, with, uh, with the Big Ten. Uh, but they had, it shows you kind of the respect of what Notre Dame is as a TV property, that they had a very specific number already written in should Notre Dame join. And think about that, what that means for, for, for Warren to be able to talk to Notre Dame and for NBC to use their strength to discuss what that could mean for the... Um, uh, for the conference. Just in, incredible developments. Yeah. And Notre Dame goes out and re-signs their own deal with NBC, going from uh, a reported $25 million a year to $60 million a year. I think it's light. I think it's light. Um, but and, significant increase, of course. You know, and then what makes it all the more impressive is the fact that ratings were down last year 48%. Right. In part because Notre Dame did not have any top 25 matchups on NBC. But still, you know, you know your ratings go down 48 percent and your rights deal goes up by 140 percent. Yeah. I was listen, doing the math in my head. That's why I was stuttering a little bit. Yeah. No, that, that actually impressed me. You, you don't think you can do math in your head. But compared to me, you're freaking Einstein. So um, when it comes to that. But listen, that these these ratings of top tier properties have been defying gravity for a while. And, and this is another example of it. I mean, we have more cord cutting. We have less traditional linear viewership to some degree, although ratings this year have been have been pretty solid. But we know that we will certainly with with NBC and uh, and Big Ten that Peacock's going to have to be a big part of that. And and these these legacy media entities are now getting that, that they have to have multiple approaches to that. But there are so many marquee properties that um, are still destination viewership and the advertising rates continue to be high because that's the only thing that people are really, really watching live. So yeah, it's just, it's just, it, it's an incredible marketplace. Yeah. And if you recall last year, Notre Dame's first game on NBC against Toledo was actually only available on Peacock. Didn't even didn't even broadcast it on the network. So that's right. I remember. I I remember my my father on that game. My father says he has a friend in Burridge, Illinois, that was pissed because of the Peacock thing, and he wasn't going to download. You know, this is a ninety year old man. Um, and I'm like, Dad, it's Notre Dame. They're definitely on somewhere linear, and he knew, he knew what I didn't. Um, I was like, Damn, he's right. Um, and and no. it turned out to be a hell of a game, right? Notre Dame wound up winning 32-29. So, um, 
you know, NBC, the guy, the folks at NBC Sports knew what knew what they were talking about. So before we uh, before we take a break, I want to do a couple quick hits. Yeah, I know we when we were preparing for this, taking a week off, we had a lot of stuff going on. There is so much going on. Hey, you know, one thing I want to call out is. Um bit of a shout out to a mutual friend, Ben Ryling, who is now at Nielsen. And we one talk of the, about one of the nicest guys, not yeah. only in the sports industry, yeah, just in general. No doubt about it. We talked about this when we had Jake Laletta on from 2311 Racing uh, and that the car designs have been different. The sponsors get a lot more um, mm-hmm. uh, recognition on that. And that has gained in sponsor value. So Nielsen put out a report on that. Not surprising at all to me because I think it was just the right thing to do. The coolest thing about it, though, was that the teams that don't typically, you know, aren't in the top 10 actually had their sponsor value um, increased by 36 percent. And keep in mind, we're talking about presence, clear presence of the of the car. It's not necessarily a, you know, a direct correlation on sales or business building and things like that. But companies are still doing these sponsorships in in NASCAR and motorsports largely for that brand visibility. And NASCAR made a change to the car and design that delivered. It was a smart move. And now the Nielsen data is backing that up. So hats off to Ben and the team at Nielsen for that. Great. So speaking of great guys, um, Dennis Rodman announced that he wants to go to Russia. I don't even know what to say to to help, in his words, help secure the release of Brittany Griner. Um, I, I just hope he does not go, because he makes a mockery of an incredibly um, serious situation, one that continues, and we haven't heard much. Which I, you know, in my eternal optimism, hope means I hope that the conversations uh, have been productive to get Brittany Griner home as quickly as possible. But I just, I, I, I laugh not in a, in a humorous way um, at, at somebody making a mockery of, of uh, something like this. Yeah. We said we were going to stay on this and, you know, bring any developments and have a chat about it. And I don't want to, I don't want to laugh about it either, but it's, it's comical. You can't say yeah. it's not comical that, that this guy thinks he's going to do. And I guess because of his great diplomacy that he had with, um, you know, Kim Jong-un, um, that he feels he can go in and, uh, you know, get any any dictator to say, great, anything you want, Dennis. Uh, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It seems to me just ridiculous. On an upcoming um, episode, I'm going to have to tell you my my Dennis Rodman, Kim Jong-un, Tim McGee story. So That's awesome. Anyway. So, Tim, a lot, of, a lot of stuff was covered there in that uh, first segment, but it is time to take a break, and we have a great guest to bring to you. We will be right back. Hang with us. It's time for our guest. Okay, so we're back, and we have a great guest um, today. Joining us is Ishwar Glassman-Crane. She is the president of business operations of the Chicago Fire. Uh, Ishwara has a long and storied career in sports. Um, she actually started in the consulting business, um, did a stop in Wall Street, and then worked for what was then known as IMG, and that's where Ishwara and I got to work together, and I was very fortunate to learn from her uh, during that time. Then she's gone on to have uh, roles at Verizon, and she was a COO for a startup, and most recently now, she's with the Chicago Fire. So, Ishwara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Tim and David. Thank you. So, let's get started. The Chicago Fire recently went through a rebranding. which if you think about it in the sports industry is probably the second biggest thing a sports franchise can do after 
physically relocating itself. So tell us, tell us the process of rebranding, what you guys went through, what you learned, and ultimately what came out on the other end of the process. Yeah, I mean, actually, if you think about it, we've actually done both. We didn't move cities, but we moved stadiums, right? We also relocated from suburban Bridgeview, Toyota, now SeatGeek Stadium, downtown to Soldier Field, where the Bears also play. And we rebranded. So there's been a lot of change. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it, it all happened before I joined. But I think a lot of it was um, precipitated by new ownership who wanted to continue to build and grow and had the resources and desire to make the fire really great. You know, our original logo was really popular. I still see it in our offices and walking through the streets of Chicago. And what I'll call our second logo simply wasn't very popular. And our, you know, I'm not going to criticize it. It just wasn't very popular. Our owner had promised fans that if it didn't work, he would change it. And so it was it's also pretty unusual to change a logo so quickly. One of the things that we did that was we wanted to make sure that it reflected what the fans want, you know, not make a decision, not make a bad choice again. So we went through a really long, broad process of getting fan feedback. We actually talked to over 20,000 fans. And you'll see a lot of the elements of the logo are prominent parts of the Chicago city flag. It's interesting because I lived in New York for 23 years before taking this job. And, and I'm probably a third generation New Yorker. I have no idea what the New York city flag looks like. And I would guess that a lot of other New Yorkers don't. But the Chicago flag means a lot to the people of Chicago, the colors and the symbolism. So the, the new logo has been really well received. And I think our players and fans wear it with pride. It really is. As somebody that spent most of my life in Chicago, that Chicago city flag is just amazing. And it has so it lends itself to so many things. And certainly reading the reviews of the new version of the logo, it certainly seems like it's it's resonating and got people back in the fold and, and is very I mean, it just kind of says Chicago. Uh, so congrats on that, because that uh, obviously can always be a challenge. Um, as Tim mentioned in the intro, you came from brand and agency side before taking uh, this leadership position with uh, uh, with Chicago Fire FC. How did those roles prepare you uh, for that type of leadership role with an MLS club? Yeah, you know, I, I would argue it's probably an unconventional choice for the job in many ways. I um, did not have a soccer background. It's my first job at a team. I always tell people, even when I hire people, that you shouldn't hire anyone who walks in thinking they know how to do the job because they'll probably be bored. You know, I think mm -hmm. I came into this job feeling, you know, confident in sponsorship sales. You know, Tim and I, you know, did a lot of that at IMG. So I understood that process. I understood the media broadcasting content side from my time at Verizon and Yahoo. And having been a banker management consultant, I felt quite confident in my ability to manage finance and legal and HR and all those functions. But I think that part of the business that what was most new to me was ticket sales. So I've been learning a lot about that. And then also what's interesting about a team, which I think is different than almost anything else in sports is you think you're running the team, but really the fans run the team and you're sort of protecting a collective good. And your biggest constituency is keeping your fans happy. I mean, that's something we thought about so much with the logo and the move of locations as well. It's really all about building, you know, customer and fan loyalty and happiness. That's that's a really great way to to put it. Um, your fans are your bosses, right? So yes. but let's talk a little bit about the culture that you've been building at the Chicago Fire. Um, I read something that you wrote where you said uh, culture is shaped by what you tolerate yeah. and by what you celebrate, which I think yeah. is, a, which is, I think is a fantastic line. And if you don't mind, I'm going to steal it, but I will credit you. I think I stole it from someone else. So you can go for it and steal it. <laughs> okay. So, you know, as a leader, as an organization, what, what are the things that you do and don't tolerate? And what are the things that you like to celebrate? 
I mean, I'll use less colorful language, but this, there's a sort of this brilliant jerk theory. I'm, you know, unwilling to hire jerks, no matter how well they sell or how brilliant they are, or how creative they are. We don't want to hire people like that. We really want to have a culture where people feel respected and cared for and treated well. I mean, we're all going to disagree sometimes about how we should pursue a certain type of business, but no one deserves to be treated disrespectfully. We've been focused a lot on diversity and equity and inclusion, for example, not just because it's the right thing to do, because it's good for business, right? We want to reflect our fan base. We um, we launched a Spanish language website because we it's the right thing to do, but also because a lot of our fans want it and want to communicate with us in Spanish and buy tickets in Spanish. So we want to celebrate that diversity because, you know, as David was talking about, Chicago is a really diverse place. We want our employees to look and sound and act like our fans and more than anything i think with everything that's going on today like i was very outspoken in you know standing up for women's rights and reproductive rights and you know i'm sure not every single one of our fans will agree with me on that it's you know we live in a very divisive country and everybody's entitled to their opinions but it meant a lot to our staff especially and i think to our fans that we stood up for what we thought was right and stood up for their rights and that's something that i'm really fortunate that our owner allows me to do we're going to ask you to dive into that a little more. So okay. we know that you already touched on this, but we do know that diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that's important to you and that you believe that uh, it's not just the right thing to do. It's actually good for business. So can you yeah. go a little deeper into what you were what you were just talking about as to why, not only from an employee side, but how it, it, it helps your employees deliver yeah. the business to the fans? Yeah, I mean... Let's be clear that Chicago is a very crowded sports market, right? And and all reality today, we're the sixth most popular team in Chicago after, you know, the two baseball teams, the basketball team, the football team, and the hockey team. And I actually think in time you'll continue to see, I love hockey, but I think in time you'll continue to see Major League Soccer um, popularity and franchise values exceed those of the NHL. You've already started to see that happen. The top MLS teams are now worth more than some of the bottom NHL teams. And I think fan demographics will tell you that that's going to continue to change. But what's interesting to me about our fan base is two things. One, about 70% of the people in our building on game day are Latino. And about half of our fans are not fans of any other Chicago sports team. So you're really reaching a very different demographic. I find that most of the sponsors in this case who want to work with us are interested in us because of our diversity and our different fan base. And so we have to embrace that. And we want our staff to also be diverse and reflective of that audience. So let's switch gears a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, we had Chris Schlosser from the league on talking about the new Apple deal yeah, uh, from the league perspective. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love to get your take on from a from a team perspective. Right, It's drastically going to change the, the whole idea of a local broadcast. Yeah. So do you have any concerns? If so, what are they? And yeah. and do you feel it's an overall positive for the club as you move forward? Yeah, we actually we did a lot of talking about this um, Major League Soccer's All-Star Game was in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. So we had a chance to meet um, quite a few of the Apple executives who worked on this. I think I think the best part about this deal more than anything is the opportunity for MLS to partner with Apple. I think, you know, the money behind Apple and, you know, they're not only going to be a broadcast partner, but they're also going to be a, a partner and a sponsor of MLS. I think it'd be really foolish to bet against Apple. I think they will put their Apple muscle and there'll be a lot of integrations that you don't even think of it, whether it's maps or news or music, all these different ways we can integrate together. And I mean, the, the biggest thing for me with MLS is how do we build new fans? And I think that Apple will do that with the cross promotion of their other content and activities. You know, the one challenge I think, you know, for those of us who've worked in the media space, it was the same thing at Yahoo. I think the only challenge and Apple, I think would say the same thing in the short run will be changing people's viewers habits. You have to teach people where, where and how to get this, but, I think, I mean, I think we're all going to put a lot of 
resources behind that. We're going to be making sure that our season ticket members have access to games. And I think it's going to be a real partnership over time. And we're excited about that. I'm going to, I'm going to push a little uh, further sure. on that. Do you know, you, you said you were meeting uh, Apple folks. That's, yeah. that's great. I'm curious as to how much they're in learning mode and wanting to make sure they get yeah. that idea of what you as a, as a president that has to deal with a, with a city and a team that may be used to watching their games a certain way. Are they, are they taking all that input from league exec, league and team execs? Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me. We, we were talking about this a little bit as the sponsorship space. It was quite clear to me that, their lead negotiator on this deal is a very savvy, wise businessman, but he also loves soccer. So I think, you know, he did, you know, that's why having been in this business a long time, people do deals because it makes business sense, but also because they love it. And I think, you know, Apple's, I think they were talking about how they were relatively new to sports, as we all know. I think they did um, a major league baseball deal, but they didn't do a whole lot of games. But one of the things that they said that was interesting, which I think they've learned from is the video part of their production was really well regarded. But as we've all seen, the audio portion has gotten some pushback. And the biggest pushback from them on the audio portion is that people love their home announcers. And when you do a national broadcast, especially in a sport like baseball, which is so regional, people complain that they want to hear their announcers talking about their players. And so I think that's something we're all going to work with Apple on doing. We're talking about maybe doing it with our current broadcasters and hosts because people love hearing their voices. So I think that's one way in which they've learned from some of the other sports deals they've done. Right. I'm sure local broadcasters will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, um, so the broadcasters work for me. So yeah. So a year plus into the into the role, right? Yeah. As you as you mentioned earlier, you you don't come from a soccer background, but with that benefit of a year plus of experience and viewing and learning and talking yeah. to people and so forth, what's your view on the future of MLS and and yeah. your view on soccer in general in America? Because we talked about soccer a lot on this podcast. Yeah, so, you know, Chicago is a city of roughly 9 million people, let's say, in greater Chicago. We have data that shows that 3 million of them love soccer, you know, and especially in Chicago, the fan base is really diverse. You know, the primary immigrant populations you'll see in Chicago are Polish and Mexican. And both of those communities, when you spend time with them, be like, I absolutely love soccer. But a lot of them are fans of their home teams, be it Liga MX or with the Polish nationals, sometimes it's a Bundesliga team or a Premier League team. And I always try to say to them, I said, you know, I think the biggest pushback you get from you know, the soccer purists, as we call them, is, well, MLS isn't as good as the Premier League. There's not as much talent. And, you know, I'm not going to argue with the payroll size of the Chicago Fire versus Man U. Like, I'm going to lose that one. But what I always say to them is, you know, I have a National League team and I have an American League team. It's it's great that you love Liverpool or Man U or Chelsea or Barca, whoever, but you're not going to go to their game this Saturday at Soldier Field. There's no reason you can't have fandom for multiple teams. And what we really try to do here, and I'm not in charge of player selections, We've had a couple of players in our office today um, for our all staff. And one of them, both of them are Chicago born and raised. One um, English speaking and one, they're both bilingual, but one grew up in an English speaking household and one grew up in a primarily Spanish speaking household. And there's that sense of community that I think we've done a really good job of MLS of, you know, people bring their kids to the game and these kids grew up in the same towns. We're really trying to sort of harness that homegrown appeal. We, uh, before David takes you out with the last questions, we do research on this podcast as well. And it's funny, approximately the same number of people, about 3 million, were very sad when David left Chicago for New York. So. Oh, you're so popular. Wow. No, I, yeah, yeah, no, I think it, it probably. I don't want to tell you what the other Unfortunately, the larger percentage was very happy. Um, yeah, that that's the problem with that. I, I actually need to, I need to ask you about the stadium. 
Sure. Long-term thoughts on where you guys end up. What are you what yeah. are you planning? And I don't want to, you know, listen, although we are a major major news breaking operation here at Wait What? <laughs> you don't want to get know, me into trouble? Is that what you're I, I don't me? I definitely don't want to get you into trouble because we want to have you back as a guest. And yeah. uh, you know, Tim keeps saying he wants to go to a fire game and have me come along with him. So That's there's that. Fun. Yeah. So yeah, what can yeah. you tell us about about things? I mean, we know that you know the talk about the Bears and their move. We know that move to Soldier Field, uh, you know, was was one that made all the sense in the world. I think at the time, but so, but Soldier Field is not a soccer specific uh, yeah. venue. So I'm wondering if you can share any, uh, you know, what's what's in the thought process. Yeah, you know, um, I was quoted in the Chicago Sometimes this weekend talking about it. So your timing is quite okay, good. Okay, good. I mean, let's let's talk about let's start with what's good about Soldier Field, right? It, it's right in the center of Chicago. We very much we do a lot of charity work and good work in Chicago. I live in downtown Chicago. We like being a part of the city of Chicago. Like we played a game in Bridgeview last weekend, and the most difficult thing about Bridgeview is there's just no transit there. There's no public transportation there. So we love being downtown. And I would tell you that the players run onto the field at Soldier Field and it feels big. You know, it feels like a major European, you know, football experience. And then I get fans who come up and say to me, we um we put some seats on the field because everybody loves premium seating. And I guess on the con side, Soldier Field's premium seating is much too high, I would argue. So we put seats on the field and people say to me, man, I could never sit here for the Bears. Like this is where, you know, the Bears opponents, players stand. I mean, that's all very cool. The challenge is that Soldier Field is frankly a very busy building, right? It is owned by the city and their goal is to, you know, use the money that they get from Soldier Field to fund municipal programs, be they, you know, recreational basketball programs for underprivileged kids in the city of Chicago, which I completely appreciate. The Bears' priority is playing their games on as clean of a field as they possibly can and selling as many sponsorships as they can in that building. And then the city hosts a bunch of concerts there. So it's a very difficult place to play when you're not the priority tenant. And I think it's it's very hard for us to sustain playing there when I can't even get enough dates to fill my schedule there. So I guess the, the soundbite for you is we are evaluating all of our options and we'll do what's best for the club. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't look at all of the options and what's best for us in the long run. Well, that's great. We appreciate you indulging us uh, with uh, sure. with that response on that. Because yeah. I mean, obviously, venue is an important one, and and yeah. Chicago specifically is, in some regards, you know, while there are some legendary venues, um, it's yeah. also somewhat venue challenged. So, um, so uh, thank yeah. you for that. Sure. Yeah, thank you. So before we let you go, we have two questions that we like to ask all our guests. So we're, we're sure. going to ask you the same ones. Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? Yeah, actually, you know, I grew up loving sports. I watched a lot of sports, mostly baseball, football, basketball with my dad and my mother loves fight sports. Um, I did not realize one could work in sports. You know, I went to Columbia undergrad. I did my master's. I worked in consulting and banking. And I just... I wasn't looking to work in sports. I know so many people work so hard to get into sports, but <laughs> a former McKinsey colleague of mine was looking for someone at IMG to help them run the business side to turn IMG into a more successful business, you know, to once it was owned by private equity. So I got a little lucky, but once I got into sports, I was certainly never going to leave. And I would argue that team, the team side is more fun than I've had anywhere else. That It's a lot of fun. So That's, that's great. And then the last question, um, what advice do you have for somebody young looking to break into the sports industry? Yeah, a few things. One, figure out what you're actually good at. Like when people say they want to come work for me, I'm like, okay, but do you want to do marketing? Do you want to do PR? Do you want to do ticket sales? Do you want to sell sponsorships? You know, what do you want to do? And two, 
you know, touch the money. I'm always looking for people who can help me make more money somehow, you know, driving revenue. And maybe three, the last thing I would say is to young students is you don't always need to network with someone who's the president of a soccer team, right? Get to know your peers, be kind to your peers, because your peers will be the people running companies in 20 years. Like your best connections are always going to people who actually know you. Someone you talk to for 30 seconds at a conference is probably not going to recommend you for a job. Build actual real relationships based on friendship and then go and ask people for things. Fantastic That's advice. Great. Ishwara, we can't thank you enough for yeah. taking time out of your schedule. Um, we appreciate you joining us. Um, David, did you want to say something? I just, I wanted to say I'm really happy that you got to meet Jamie Eust. <laughs> he's really cute. He's, oh yeah, he's ridiculously. <laughs> when you come to Chicago to visit him, you guys should come to a game. He's ridiculously cute. Yeah, that that would that would be great. Yeah, they are they are up there in Lakeview. So uh, and oh yeah, uh, I live yeah, in Lincoln so, Park, so they're very yeah. close to me. So that's great. And and again, thank you very much. Very uh, great discussion. If they want to come to a game, just let me know. We have. Four more home games this season, so just All let right. me know. All right, well, nice, very much. nice to see you, Tim, as well. Take care. Thank you, Ashwara. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, well, thank you again to Ashwara Glassman Crane um, from the Chicago Fire, another great guest. Um, I love her take on culture in particular and the importance it has to an organization. But now's the time in the show where we look forward, David. Well, the Little League World Series is going on right now, and I have not had a chance to watch much of it in my um, very lengthy nine plus hours or so. Was it that long? It was a long time in the Delta Sky Lounge at O'Hare yesterday. They had some games on, so I was picking it up. There have been some great stories coming out of the Little League World Series this year, as there usually are. But, you know, hopefully I'll be able to, as they as they move toward the uh, the actual championship game scheduled for this weekend, uh, hopefully I'll be able to uh, watch a little. Listen, I've always been a little torn, if I'm being honest, about watching the Little League World Series. On the one hand, I think it's wonderful that these kids get this exposure. It tends to create some great sports drama, which is the reason we follow sports. But at the same time, these are young kids, and there's a lot of pressure on them. Well, I, I, w I will say this. So, uh, as you know, I was diagnosed, <laughs> diagnosed, makes it sound like it's an illness. Like a, like a, uh, I tested positive for COVID, right, upon my return from Ireland. So I was quarantined in, the, in my uh, basement slash home office slash guest room uh, this weekend. So I did watch a lot of the Little League World Series. And I, I feel the same way you do. But what I was particularly attuned to was how the announcers handled the calls of the game. And they did. They were very, um, they were very careful not to call out mistakes and errors. Um, you know, it was all, it was really all positive. And I don't think these kids are going to feel any more pressure being on TV than they would if they were playing in the, the Little League World Series, anyway. So I love the fact that these kids are now going to hopefully have a record that they can show their kids and grandkids of a phenomenal experience that they had, you know, when they were 10, 11, 12 years old. So. Right. Um, yeah, some great stories. I'm going to continue to watch it. Yeah. What else I, you got? I grew up in Pennsylvania, by the way. I've had the opportunity to play on that field twice, not in the Little League World Series, but it is an amazing thing to be on that field. I will say that. So, um, so yeah. quick, quick story. Um, you know, I grew up playing Little League like a lot of kids of our generation did. And our town had a World Series. And as a 12-year-old, I struck out to end the World Series for my part, you know, for our, my team. And uh, 
our coach was a hard ass and uh <laughs> he brought us to carvel for those of you not from the northeast carvel is a an ice cream store he wanted to buy us all ice cream and uh except and, except mcgee no well <laughs> yes but He's like, what do you want? And, you know, 12-year-old, you know, crestfallen Tim McGee's like, I don't want anything. He's like, okay, fine. And he goes on to the next kid in line. Yeah, there was no coddling uh, by this coach. Um, well, but I, I, I thought it was – looking back, I think it was funny. I talked to other people who were just horrified by, by how he treated people. Well, Little League experience was very important to, to me as well and, sure. and uh, you know, shaped, shaped a lot of us in a lot of ways. So it yeah, was my it made, baseball was my first love. So it, it made me a lacrosse player. <laughs> anything, anything else you got your eye on this week? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Eric Ten Hag, the manager of Man, Man U. Um, winless in their first two matches, comes out with a bold, bold move, benches both Harry Maguire, their captain, and Cristiano Ronaldo, right? One of the best players of all time. And goes on and beats the vaunted Liverpool, um, who now sits in 16th position yep. on the Premier League table. I now just picked up a win. It's had they not, I jinxed them too, by the way. I jinxed Will Zalatoris and I jinxed, I jinxed Liverpool. Had had they lost that match, I you know, I don't I don't think a boycott would have been the worst thing to the the man well you people would have to worry about so they they win this match although liverpool did dominate the the stats in terms of possession but that doesn't matter right but i i i love the uh the man you managers you know after saying well ronaldo still has a he, he there's still there's still a place there's still a place i i don't think he's necessarily thinking that figuring out where they can send him where he can compete for a i don't know if he wants a champions league title or a premier league title what you know he seems to be you know, not so sure of uh, uh, what he wants anyway. So, uh, yeah, no, that was interesting. But man, you, you, the fans needed that too, right? Because they were they were up in arms uh, about the Glazers before the uh, before that match. They were apparently they were going to boycott um, going into Old Trafford. I don't know if they actually did that. I didn't see the match. I only read about it afterwards. Well, it is interesting because it highlighted two, obviously, American-owned um, uh, clubs there. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether the Glazers sell off a piece, what, how they're going to finance the future and so forth um, there. But, man, the fans are, are not really supportive of that um, regime there, uh, the ownership uh, group. Want to end the show on a, uh, a bit of a sad note, but uh, um, a shout-out to a – uh, Jamie Roots, who was a sports titan in the Houston marketplace, and quite honestly, nationally, um, former president of the Houston Texans, really um, the face of that franchise, quite honestly, um, for a number of years, um, went on to work for the Dynamo, taught, very involved in the city. And to a person, um, you don't hear bad things about Jamie Roots, um, nice guy. I had the opportunity to meet with him along with a, uh, a friend. I was down there on some business for a, an ATP event. And, uh, Gordon Kane and I uh, met with Jamie and couldn't have been nicer uh, guy, always wanting to share. Um, so it was sad. And he he had been battling mental health. It was a, It was a mental health issue. And his family is seemingly pretty open about saying that. And I bring that up only because we've talked about that on the show. We had an episode with Siraj Bathea uh, on where we, we really focused on that. But I, I feel like I want to commit 
this show even further to making sure that we don't, you know, not talk about that when issues come up in the sports biz. You know, what I'd you know, really like to say is, is just obviously rest in peace, Jamie Roots, peace to his family and his many, many, many friends across this industry. Truly, truly sad. Um, but it shines a light where it needs to continue to be shown, which is on the impacts of mental health um, on so many, so many people. So if you're suffering, seek help. If you know somebody who's suffering, be there for them. Um, and as you said, David, we'll continue to address that because we're not immune to that in this industry. And, and prayers to Jamie, Jamie's memory and to his family. Yes. Well said. All right. With that, it's the time in the show where we say goodbye. If you like what you've heard, please comment, please share, please give us feedback. We want to continue to make this program the best we possibly can. Leaving on somewhat of a somber note, but we uh, we thank you all and we look forward to seeing you next week. David, as always, thank you for taking me with you on this journey. Thank you. Thank you.